The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Welcome to the show, everyone. How are you today? And a special shout-out to my good friend, Yoshiko Dart. Yoshiko, march on, lead on, keep doing all the great stuff you're doing for people living with disabilities. And I would like to thank, before we get going, our sponsors, Highmark, Cavestro, and AudioEye. AudioEye uh, is a new sponsor. We love them. Check them out, uh, and you'll you'll be very very interested in the innovative work they do in accessibility. Of course, Cavestro, uh, right here in Pittsburgh, formerly Bear Material Science, with the great CEO Jerry McCleary. Hi, Mark. What can I say? They are the lead sponsor. Have been my partner since I started the company with the great CEO, David Holmberg, and President, Deb Rice-Johnson. Well, I am really excited about the show today, very timely with all the things going on in our country, especially the problems they're having, the horrific problems in Chicago. And to me, it's a blessing to have Deborah Germany on today. Deborah has received numerous awards like the 2013 Sally Hillman Childs Award from Renewal, the 2013 Servant Leader Award from Geneva College, and the Volunteer of the Year Award from Pennsylvania's former governor, Tom Corbett. Deborah, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joyce, for having me. Of course, and you know what? Why wouldn't I? You're a former Geneva graduate. I always tell people... Best college in America, and guess where I went? Geneva College. So Amen. it's great, yeah, great to have you with us. But I wanted to begin for our listeners across the country just to learn a little bit more about you. So let's start with where you were born and raised, and then what you did. I know you worked for a little bit at CMU. Could you talk about that? Yes, I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, originally from the Hill District. And also, I was raised in Oakland. So those were the two neighborhoods that I was raised in. Um, graduated from Shinley High School and Geneva College, Point Park, and um, worked at Carnegie Mellon um, for the Software Engineering Institute. Oh, that is tremendous. Yeah, well, hey, Pittsburghers are tough people, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. I am right here headquartered in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and may I tell you, I love Pittsburgh, love the people, love the work ethics, and everyone knows I'm obsessed with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And, you know, there are people on that 
team that have been doing tremendous volunteer work. And frequently I hear them talk about the thing that happened that changed their life. And Deborah, that is you. You know, it's always amazed me with what you have done to give back, which I have to say, I don't know of uh, very many people really that could do this. Um, it is just unbelievable. But how about if you share with our listeners, Deborah, how your life tragically changed in the year 2001? Well, July 9th, 2001 was the most devastating day of my life. I was notified that my only child, Raymond Germany, was murdered. He was shot seven times in the Hill District in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I've always um, raised my son right. He came from a good home. I set a good example. I did all I knew to do for him, and he made a conscious decision to sell drugs, and it cost him his life. And it was just one of the most horrific things you can ever imagine. I remember always thinking um, when he was starting, when he was getting young, when he was young, he started just making a lot of left turns, left turns in his life. He did some things to cause him to be sent away. And it was I was always the type of mother, you know, if you're right, I'm with you. If you're wrong, I'm going to chastise you, and you're going to pay the consequences. I'm not going to uphold no foolishness. I know there's a lot of mothers who turn their heads when their sons sell drugs. They take the money. They get their rent paid. I wasn't never one for that. I mean, I would call the police on my son, and he knew that. So he hid a lot of things from me. But, again, um, I always knew after this situation, after that situation, one day that I was going to get a phone call. And you always think you're going to be ready when that phone call comes, and you're not. I remember it was a Sunday night, early Monday morning, about 10 minutes to 5, and the phone rang, and it was Presbyterian Hospital calling and asked if I had a son named Raymond. I said, well, yes, um, yes. And they said, well, does he live at 530 Kelly Street? Yes. Um, is there something wrong? Is there something wrong? She began to ask me all these questions, and then she told me, um, I said, well, ma'am, could you please quit just to torture me? Can you just tell me, is my son all right? And she said, no, ma'am, he ceased to breathe. And then I realized what she was saying, that he was, was already gone, and she asked me if I could come and identify his body. And, Joyce, I tell you, that was one of the most horrific times. I remember hanging up the phone. I told her, okay, ma'am, I'm on my way. I turned to my husband. I said, Ray's dead. And I'll never forget when I walked in that hospital, and I went through the automatic doors, and they summoned me to come in the back. I got in the back. It was all these white curtains everywhere and walking down all these hallways. And I got to this one hallway, this one curtain. The lady stopped, and she grabbed the curtain, and there lay my Ray, my one and only child. He was, in a, he was on a steel table in a blue body bag, and the body bag was halfway zipped. And I realized in that instant that what was really facing me, I realized this would be the last time that I would shut down an apartment or set one up because he was always in trouble, always something. And when he go to jail, I shut his apartment down. He come home, I get him another one. He come back to jail. I felt like a dustpan, just sweeping up, always sweeping up. But when I was late, standing there and I went to rub his head, he was warm. And I, I started screaming. I said, nurse, nurse, come here, come here. Get that machine with them pedals. Hurry up, hurry up. Get the pedals. Get them. She said, ma'am, 
we've already done that. She said, it's too late for that. She said, he's gone. And I realized then that my life would never be the same. Then I thought, I said, well, wait a minute. How did he get here? There was, I didn't recall seeing nobody in the waiting room. I, I went out there and I was like, well, wait, well, did he say anything? Was there any last words? Did he say, tell my mom I'm sorry? Tell, there was nobody to give me those answers. No friends, no, nobody cared enough to ride with him to the other end to see if he made it. And it just really, uh, it felt like my life, it's almost like you take a glass and you drop it in the middle of the floor and all of a sudden one minute your life is normal, the next minute your life is in a thousand pieces. And I had no idea how I could put my life back together. And another thing that happens when your child is murdered, you get paralyzed with fear because then you think, well, wait, they killed him. You don't know the situation, the circumstance. I didn't know what he'd done in the street to deserve it. Then you feel like they're coming to get you next. And I was literally afraid. And God said, well, this can either make you better or bitter. So I had to make a conscious decision to get better because it would have killed me. But I was so afraid I couldn't imagine God using me in any at all. And... From there, he just led and got me, and two weeks after he was murdered, he gave me this vision of prevention that he dropped in my spirit, and I've been just following his manuscript ever since, but it it has not been easy. It has not been easy, but I, I'm grateful to God that he gave me an opportunity to give other young men and women opportunities that I couldn't give my son. I'm going to tell you something, Deborah. That story is horrific. For many reasons. First, of course, that your son lost his life. I mean, that, that, is, that is terrible. That is, as you said, no matter what you would think, you're not prepared for something like that. But I have to say, I'm not understanding why the hospital did not have someone call you and say, your son has been uh, seriously injured Please come to the hospital. I, mean, I, I I don't understand why they called and told you, your, oh, your son has passed away, because, like, there are some people, they, what if you had not made it, if you had a heart attack or in, in a car accident? That I don't understand. Number two, that no one was there to sit down mm-hmm. with you and go over anything. It's terrible. Yeah, it was... It was, I mean, she asked me a series of questions. What was his name, his address, his social security number? She kept saying, I'm sorry, I can't give you that information. I was like, you are torturing me. Please, just tell me. And she finally told me. And and what was so ironic as, and there was a, a lot to this story, but God gave me a specific testimony. He just, he as, as he speaks, I just write. And as a result of Ray being murdered, he began to give me a testimony to go into the schools and the prisons and to tell Ray's story, how he lived and died as a drug dealer and how it affected me. Because a lot of times, you know, when our young men are incarcerated or they get out, there's, a lot of, there's not a lot of resources for them. So they turn to the street, what they know. Just like a woman can't get a job, unfortunately, she might turn to be a prostitute. Not all, but it's like they turn to what they know or what's easy and Unfortunately, that's what my son did, and I 
tell the truth, how he lived, how he died, how I had to go identify his body, how his friends set him up. You know, they went, he was making a $1,000 a day. I remember he came, pulled up in front of my house with this brand new car with TVs in the front and in the back. And I said, he said, Ma, come on outside. Come on, go. Let's go for a ride. I said, boy, if you don't get that piece of garbage from in front of my house, I'm going to call the police. Ma, look, I got a TV. I said, Ray, I didn't raise you like this. I said, I got you a job cleaning the stadiums. I didn't know you was building them. I said, I know how you got this car. I said, if you don't get it from in front of my house, I'm calling the police now. My heart was broke. I said, every $20 you made, you took food out of a baby's mouth. Every $20, you took shoes off of somebody's children's feet. It's blood money, and it's wrong. And you will stand before God and answer for it. I ain't raised you like this. I was hurt because I did all I knew to do. You know, and a lot of African-American women, we raise our children alone because the fathers, they go their separate ways. But as mothers, we don't have that luxury. My mother helped me raise Ray. We we can't teach him to be men, but we did the best we could. So now I talk to these men in these prisons, and I tell them, do you realize while you're in here, it's like leaving the front door wide open to the enemy to your children? You're saying, I'll have your way with my daughter. Have your way with my son. There are literally biological fathers doing foul things to their real children. Can you imagine what the baby's mama's boyfriend could be doing? And for the children that can't talk, I tell these men, it's your responsibility to be there for your children. I don't care what the situation is. Make it a priority to have a relationship with your kids. I wish I could pick up the phone today and call my son or my mother. There's no reason for the divisions we have in our families today, but we do so. My message is not easy, but it's the truth. And it is. Every- it is. It is the truth. And I want to talk more about that, Deborah. But first, we're going to go to break. Oh, how riveting! Powerful, powerful. Deborah Germany, Executive Director of Divine Intervention Ministries. If you've been listening to this show, I want you to tell everyone you know to go back and hear it because it's archived on my site. We'll talk about that in a little bit. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back with Deborah. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voiceamerica. For those in leadership positions with corporations, governments, nonprofits, and educational institutions, please pay attention. Are you aware that 10 to 15% of your potential clients are unable to use your websites properly? At AudioEye, an advanced technology has been created that eliminates accessibility issues and levels the playing field for all. Make the Internet a meaningful resource for millions of more people. Go to AudioEye.com. More accessible, more usable, more people. Call on AudioEye today. Visit AudioEye.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader 
in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Vendor assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Vendor services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.vendorconsult.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. What a powerful show today and a show that so many people should listen to. We have as our guest today Deborah Germany, the Executive Director of Divine Intervention Ministries and a mother that went through the most horrific thing any mother could go through, and that is losing her only son to a violent crime. And, uh, Deborah, there was a question that I did want to ask you. At the very beginning, how did your family, how did they deal with this? Well, at first, you're in denial because you just can't believe it, and... And then you get paralyzed with fear because you feel like, okay, now they're coming to get me. So I personally had to get some counseling because that's the only way. I thought I was going crazy. I thought I was losing my mind because my son had did some things in the street that landed at my door. I remember one time this gentleman came to my door and said my son had robbed him. And he told me that the next people to knock on my door won't be so nice. I said, well, what does that mean? And I said, well, if he robbed you, you want to come in and call, use my phone to call the police? He said, ma'am, I don't deal with the police. He said, but the next knock on your door, they ain't going to be as nice as me. And I said, well, what are you saying? Basically, what he told me was there was a hit squad coming to Pittsburgh from Philly to kill my whole family. Oh, my and, goodness. And I'm like, well, I got my 71-year-old mother upstairs. And I got, me and my husband, we had just bought our home. We had only been here like three months, just bought my home. And it's one of those, the fear that came over me. Oh, my God. And I just, I felt like that was the end of my life. He told me they were Jamaicans. He said, they're watching your house. It's just the history of, not to say anything about Jamaicans, but you think, oh, they're going to kill me, the 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 dreadlocks. And I I was paralyzed with fear. And... I had to leave my house for five weeks, and I ended up calling the police on my son. I called his probation officer, and I got him off the street because they, they was here to kill him. I got threatening phone calls all from my, throughout my family. I mean, I, this boy put me through so much. I mean, only God knows. But that was how we had to deal with it. And when somebody's threatening to kill you, ain't nobody telling you, oh, come on over stay with us. They're not saying that. They're like, well, call me. Well, I don't have a phone. I left home. But, I mean, it was horrible. And even to this day, the trauma of that 
every time I leave out my door, I got this ability. I I could scan my whole street and tell you if somebody's in the car because I was so afraid that there was they were still watching my house. I mean, even ain't nothing happened to me in 16 years, but the fear still remains. That's why it's so critical when you have a traumatic event like homicide or death. You have to talk to somebody, God first, but get talk to the professionals in the Center for Victims of Violent Crime. Stephanie Walsh was tremendous in helping me tell the difference for what was real and what was, wasn't. Because there was a time when I would be coming home from work when I finally had the courage to come back home. If there was somebody standing in front of my house that didn't look right, I wouldn't get off the bus. I'd just keep riding. Or I would get off the bus and walk up the street like I didn't live there because I was afraid to walk past them because I thought that was them, that, that well, they're here, they're going to get me. That's all the voices that you hear. You can hear your heart beating. I mean, that's why I tell these young men, you don't realize what you do in these streets come back to haunt your family. If you hurt somebody, they want to hurt who you love. And that's what the young men wanted to do to my family. And But by the grace of God, not a hair on my head was harmed. And all I could do was lay it at the altar because there was nothing I could do. I know I, I was able to put my son in jail for a couple years, but... Once he got back out, he still returned to the lifestyle, and eight months later, he was gone forever. So, Oh, my but, goodness. Oh, I cannot imagine the fear that you felt. I cannot imagine. Uh, thank God you're all okay, but, uh, I mean, you went from this horrific event with your son to then this ongoing terrible fear with that threat. I mean... Wow, no matter you have, no wonder you have like post traumatic stress disorder. I mean, that is a terrible thing you went through. And I also want to say about victims and violence and crime and Stephanie Walsh, what an unbelievable job she did while she was there um, and how much she, uh, you know, did to help people and work with people and, you know, just a, just a tremendous. Thing. Yeah, you, you know how you said, Deborah, when you called people, they, of course, didn't want you to go there because then they were afraid that, you know, they could get shot or killed, whatever. Do you find when people lose a child to violence of this nature, do you, do you feel that they feel uncomfortable letting anyone know that? Yeah, and, it, and it, as African-Americans... We have a, a stigma like if you talk to somebody, you're crazy, or but you have to, and then you're afraid to talk about it because the retaliation. You know, people want to come forward, but they're afraid, and I understand that. But people doesn't don't seem to get it until it happens to them. You know, there are mothers and families all across the country sitting beside a phone that never rings, waiting on evidence, waiting on a witness, waiting on the evidence. But when stuff happens in our communities, don't nobody say nothing. Everybody knows what happened, but don't nobody say nothing. And you got mothers that die waiting. Some of them right now sitting on a bar stool or in a crack house or in a shooting gallery, wanting to stay high, wanting to stay numb because they ain't got no answers. They ain't got no answers, but they don't, they don't want to feel the pain. You know, I know I've, I don't, I've been a Christian for, what, 26 years. I don't drink or anything, but I shop. You know, you're trying to shop the pain away. You, you turn to something, and it don't, it don't help. The only person that can reach you in that place is God. Human hands can't reach you there. 
Human hands cannot reach you there. Only the love of God can help you put the pieces back together. And Joyce, I'm going to tell you the only reason that I've been able to relive my son's testimony, because every time I speak, I relive his death, every time. But I tell you, it's worth it because thousands of souls have been saved for Christ. Sisters have, because I always give an altar call at the end. And you should see the young men, the youth, and these juvenile detention centers just standing up and giving their life to God, saying, Miss Deborah, I know it was it was hard for you to say this, but thank you for for saving me. Women that's in treatment, Miss Germany, thank you for, for bringing it real, because now I'm not going to die in my addiction. You know, and they struggle. A lot of times when I speak to these women, say, for instance, if if you, you lost your mother, okay, and then you never got any nobody, no counseling or nothing, then you started drinking. Then you start drinking, then you start missing work. Then when you miss work, you lose your job. Then when you lose your job, you lose your apartment. Then you lose your kids. Then you commit a crime. Then you go to jail. And it's just this domino effect that happens. But if that one thing, if you just would have got some help or would have been able to talk to somebody about the, about the trauma or the death or whatever the incident was, all these other things wouldn't happen. And you've got women locked up because of things like that, men. One traumatic event. If that trauma is not addressed, like, I have a, a more responsibility to help these men when they get out of housing and jobs and get them in school because it's a public safety issue. If you don't help them, you won't be going to your car and you just see that monster across the car from you because he ain't got no resources, no, he's desperate, or they'll be standing over top of you in your bedroom. So I have a moral obligation. Young man, when you get out of here, you call me. I'll help you find a job. I don't have physical jobs or physical houses, but I work with a lot of people and organizations that do, partners, people that really do the work. And that's what Divine Intervention was created to do, to restore the lives of incarcerated adults and at-risk youth, to give people a second chance. Everybody's made mistakes. Some people just didn't get caught. But I am tired of seeing millions of men and women in prison. Everybody got a job in the same town as the prison because every, cause everybody's living on the backs of these individuals. They need to be rehabilitated. And thank God for Secretary John White Whittle. He's our Secretary of Corrections, and he's doing some tremendous things in these prisons. So there's hope now. There's resources now. There's really no excuse. There's no excuse. You know, and thank, I hope thank God goodness, I, thank goodness, because, you know, you're right. So many people in the African-American community, uh, and, by the way, a lot of them with disabilities, learning disability, emotional, whatever it is, end up in uh, prison or uh, juvenile detention, and people, they just, you know, they just, I hate to say it, but turn their head. Don't think about it. Don't think about what it's doing to lives and what it's doing to families. Um, and you're right about that, Deborah. I'm very sorry to say that because look at right now what's happening in Chicago. The homicides are unbelievable. It's terrible. It's the most it's been uh, possibly, I don't know if it's forever, but it's the most it's been in years and years. One young person after the next losing their life like your son. And... Uh, you know, we, we all have to look at that. We have to look at that and realize that, for example, people in poverty, of course, 
there's a greater chance something could happen. Why? Because they want a way out. You know, mm-hmm. they, 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 and you know, when people say to me, well, you know, if it were you, you'd just go out there and, you know, be successful. And I say, are you kidding me? How do you know what it's like to live in a impoverished area, have one parent, see drugs mm-hmm. everywhere? I mean, you know, how do you know how you would turn out? So I think it's wonderful what you're doing, and we're going to talk to you more as soon as we come back from this break. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back with Deborah. Don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. Since 1985... Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Welcome back, everyone. And if you've been listening to this show, you know it's riveting. You know it's powerful. You may know people that need to hear this show. So I just want to tell you, you go to voiceamerica.com or you go to benderconsult.com because all of these shows are archived. You can download it from iTunes or you can just hear it by going to my site. But remember, if you know of anyone you think needs to hear this, make sure you tell them about this show. And you know what, Deborah? When I was reading about you and, you know, everything you did, um, you know, I saw that you started by using billboards. So why did you say, you know, why did you do that? What did they say? And who helped you pay to get them up? Well, when the, when, the, when my son first got murdered, um, 
I was, you know, I joined the Homicide Task Force and started getting active in the community. I met a lady named Valerie Dixon, and she had the vision about the billboards, and she asked me if she could get a picture of my son to put it up. And I said, well, sure, if it could bring any attention and get them solved. So eventually we started working together. We formed a ministry, and we started working. We, matter of fact, when God gave me the name of Divine Intervention, it was for a prison ministry, but we took the name and put it on the billboards because, honestly, Joyce, I was running. I was afraid to go into prisons. I was in schools until the Lord dealt with me. But the billboards had... Um, it started off with a $1,000 reward, then it was a $5,000 reward that it had. You could call um, the um, uh, Witness Protection Program. Um, you could call the Homicide Division uh, anonymously and give tips. And Lamar Outdoor Advertising, uh, Mr. Um, Geyer, he... Um, Valerie had approached Lamar Advertising, and they were our sponsors for years. They donated over $50,000 in billboard space over a five-year period um, to put the billboards up for free. Then God gave me a vision um, through an all-night prayer shut-in to put them online. So to this day, um, Valerie continued to do the billboards. Our ministry went in two different directions, but to this day, she's still helping people with the billboards and that um, online website that she has where a person can still go there and anonymously give their information because people are afraid to say what they know, but they could do it without, you know, getting being harmed, and if a person, say for instance, if they give a tip about a young man that's hanging around selling drugs, if he's on probation, they can automatically pick him up, you know, for hanging around the wrong crowd or having a weapon. So it was just an excellent um, vehicle that God created, and very proud of the work that we've done, and there was a lot of, several homicides um, resolved because of that. Matter of fact, we were even on the John Walsh show, um, America's, the gentleman that does America's Most Wanted, and we were flew to New York, and... Um, um, on that show feature for the work that we were doing, the cold case squad here in Pittsburgh. So they were very successful when they were up, and it would have been even more successful if more people would come forward. But I'm very proud of the work that we've done together with the billboards. Well, I didn't ask you this. I realized, did they ever apprehend the person that killed your son? No. To date, there's no one in jail for my son's homicide, but I... I'm just staying on my post. You know, I'm remaining faithful. I was told that the young man that killed my son was in jail doing life before a different homicide, but he was never charged for Ray. So, I mean, I can't, you know, say he did it. I was, that's what I was told. He bragged about it and everything. It was supposed to be two of them, but they're doing life, but no one was physically ever charged. When we did have a, a trial, um, the one young man that was, I'm arrested, was acquitted, and that was when I was in New York on the John Walsh show, so that was the longest plane ride coming back to Pittsburgh, and I remember um, his name was Stan Geyer. He said, "Miss Jeremy, I'm going to donate an additional $10,000 to keep these billboards up, so Lamar Outdoor Advertising were very instrumental when we were doing the billboards, but um, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, this brings me to... Um, what you did that, to me, uh, unbelievable, definitely, absolutely through God, but I'll tell you what, it took great courage because then you decided that jail that you said, that prison that you were afraid of, you actually started going into the prison and meeting with 
incarcerated adults and at-risk youth. So tell me, what was that, you know, what was that like and what was the message you were, how, how did you get to them? How did you feel you were getting to them and what was it like the first time? Well, it was me and Stephanie Walsh, we were at Panera Bread, I'll never forget it, and we were going to a press conference in Philly because we were launching, getting ready to launch the billboards up there. They did our campaign, and the Lord gave me impact. And I wrote it out on a napkin. It was interceding, making positive actions come together. Because, see, the Lord kept dealing with me. Okay, I know you're doing these billboards, but that's not what I called you to do. I called you to go into the prisons. So I was speaking in schools. I was running. So I knew that my time of running was coming to an end. So I developed the impact program, which was basically what the VAN intervention was meant to do was help restore the lives of these incarcerated adults and at-risk youth once they got out. So we started going into the prisons in 2007 when I finally stopped running. And me and Valerie's ministries, our work, the Lord said our work together was over. It was time for us to go our separate ways. So I knew my next chapter. So I, I gave her all of the families, and I started over with nothing. I just left with the name. And she went on and named the billboard something else. But I started the impact program. We opened up an office um, eventually in the Hill District and started providing services for these men and women when they got out because there was nothing in our communities for them. They let them out. I mean, like the halfway houses and the prisons, they get funding while they're in there. But when they're out, they're on their own. So our ministry was designed to kind of catch them and help be a bridge for them for the other side, and that's what I was committed to doing. So I started going into prisons in 2007, and I've been going in ever since. I still speak in schools, but my job and my responsibility is to try to help them find the resources to get their lives back on track so that they can become productive citizens. And we've recently been have been um, in the Renault Center, which is a halfway house in downtown Pittsburgh. We've been in there going on six years. We brought our Christian-based program into the Renault, teaching the Word of God, life skills, mentoring, discipleship, right in the Renault Center. And that's nothing but the favor of God. We also have Sunday services in the Renault Center um, twice a month for the young men that can't leave. We just brought the Word to them, or the church to them. So, And then helping them when they get out. So it's it's truly been a gift from God and a privilege to serve. But we need help, you know. We need a lot of help because, like I said, I've been volunteering for 16 years, and to really do this work effectively, you need funding, you know, grant writers and social workers and, and things like that. So we really need a lot of help to even do it more effectively. But I'm so proud of what we've been able to do with even a little because, again, we just serve. We don't We don't need a salary. You know, we haven't taken a salary. But in order to really, really do this work, we need a good building. It's going to take a lot more than we have, but we make the best of what we have. Well, when you go in there uh, and you meet with them, in addition, of course, to uh, spreading your uh, message of God, what, what is it you tell them? What, what do you say to them to try to get through to them? I ask them, what what do they want to do with the rest of their life? I ask them, I tell them, you know, some of you in here, you got more years behind you than in front of you. So basically that means you've already lived the majority of your life. What are you going to do with the rest of it? How much more time are you going to give away? I want you to think about how many years you just gave away. I meet young men every other Friday, and they say, Miss Jeremy, I just got home. I've been gone 18 years. 
one gentleman told me he had an interview, and you know now with all the new technology, he went in the men's room, and he went to the bathroom, but he didn't see no where how he could flush the toilet, and he was embarrassed, you know, to just leave. He come out, and he don't know there ain't no faucet, there ain't no handles. The technology's changed. Since they've been, and everything is just, you know, you put your hand in and the water comes out, the soap comes out, the heat comes out. So these are things that they have to be taught all over again. Everything with the jobs is online, on the phone, ain't no more paper. So there's so many challenges. So we try to get them ready while they're in there to let them know about the technology, to bring in speakers, to tell them about these opportunities. You go back to school now for free. You got no excuse. You get paid. Your books and everything is paid for. But there's a lot of people doing a lot of good work, but everybody don't know everybody. It's like we're all on these different little silos. Don't you also share with them what happened to you and then ask them how they feel about that? Yes. I let them know, and during my testimony, it breaks it all down how I got the phone call, how it affected my family, how I had to leave my house. And I let them know your crime might not be the same as Ray's, but something that you're doing, like a lot of them will say, well, I didn't think my addiction was affecting anybody but me. But if you're in in an addiction, your whole family's in an addiction, you know, because they're going through it with you, whether you realize it or not. So I basically talked to them you know, one by one or in a group of 100, depending on the audience, of how it will affect your family if you continue down this lifestyle. And I tell you, Joyce, a lot of them are coming away from it. But when they do decide to come away from it, you better have something for them that's real, not just no lip service because you might only get one shot to help them. They might only have the strength to call you one time. So it's important that you are there. It's important that when you refer these men that just to a real partner that's willing to receive them, that it's not like a cold call. So I just talk real talk to them, and it's working. And it's, it's to me it's just easier. It's like a mother talking to a son or a mother talking to a daughter, especially when they're tired. Yeah, right, right. Um, well, Deborah. Let's hear about DIM, what, Divine Intervention Ministries. What all are you doing there? Well, right now, we're in the Renault Center. We're in the one next to the Allegheny County Jail um, four days a week, and then the one in the Renault Center downtown Pittsburgh, on the Boulevard of Allies, five days a week. We're in there teaching the Word of God, um, life skills, mentoring program, discipleship. Um, I'm in there on Fridays giving my testimony. We help them when they get out with employment. I'm also doing a lot of speaking in different um, facilities. Um, they call me throughout the, the year, um, the Urban League, um, Arborly, the SIS program. So I, I'm basically a mouthpiece. I speak life in the dead places is the gift that God gave me. My job is to sound the alarm and expose the devil. And right now I'm really looking for a building to really run our program. I'm really looking for a school. And I ask I ask God to touch somebody's heart to donate a school or a building that we can really run our program because it's our we get so much we do so much outreach. But for them to come back we need the capacity to serve them. So I just prayed. I said, God, you, you called me to this work, and I know that you're going to make the provision. So I believe in God that he would touch the heart of some sponsors or corporations that would stand with us. Because it's hard 
you know, our youth program, you have some funds that will help youth, but there's not a lot that want to help older, you know, adults. And if we don't help restore the lives of the parents, then what are the children, how are the children left? So we have to make these families complete. And, and real quick, when you talked about the disabilities, Joyce, I commend you for what you're doing. But Secretary Wetzel did a study in the prisons, and he said over 50%, I don't have the exact percentage, but I know it was over 50% of the men that they tested were, were diagnosed with, like, PTSD or some type of mental illness, which caused them to be incarcerated. So a lot of times their arrest is due to a disability that was never diagnosed. So you got a more than 50% of them are in there for a disability they really did operate in and didn't even know. Wow. I commend him for, for doing things. He even can admit it. We've been doing this thing wrong for 30 years. Now it takes a lot to say we've been doing prisons wrong, but he's reversing it, and I commend him. Secretary Wetzel is my friend. He was sent by God, and he's doing some real great things in these prisons in Pennsylvania. I'm serious. So, so the disability is in them prisons, and 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 I thank God for you calling me because we need to help and hit on that because they could be getting well if they were probably treated and diagnosed right. But a lot of them, with the state running out of money, they just letting them out, and wow. our communities aren't ready to receive them. We don't have the resources. We don't have, but we have to find it, or they'll be standing in your bedroom. I tell you that. Isn't that the truth? And that is a frightening thing. Hey, Deborah, I did want to ask you a question about this. Um, you know, how many of these people, when they get out of prison, cannot find employment? Because all the companies I deal with, they require a criminal background check, and if you're a felon, they won't hire you. You know, what do you see happening there? Well, the ones that really want to change. They're ready. There's a lot of them that have really did their time, and they won't get a second. They won't give them a second chance, so they get frustrated. But I'm, I, I plead to somebody that's listen. You will have one of the best workers you have if you give them a chance. All they need is a chance. They want to do right, but if they're not given an opportunity, how could they? I'm praying that even UPMC would be, be willing to hire people with criminal records. And I know it has to be a case by case, but I mean. They have to live, they have to work, they have to support their family. How can they do that if somebody don't give them a chance? That's why I want to be able to create jobs within our organization to help employ them because if it ain't for the cleaning company or or something, they, they help them find jobs because it's hard. And that's why I like when they get out the Renault Center, they need an organization like ours to help connect them to the services because there are employers out there that will do it. So I, I'm just praying that people will be more open. You know, they would. Well, I know. Like Isn't that's one of the things the renewal program does is work to find employment for, for uh, people that have been incarcerated that are now out of prison. Isn't that correct? Don't they do that? Yes, they have an excellent program called Get Paid. You know, that they help with them while they're in. You know, so they're doing a lot of great things in a renewal to help them. But then there's some people that get out and they don't do what they're supposed to do. And then there's some that don't. So 
You know, you and have to and want then it. There, and then there are those that get out that want to contribute back and want to work that no one will give them a chance. And then, of course, that causes you to go backwards. Exactly. Exactly. So I've, there's some things, Joyce, that are just over my head. But I, I know if it's over my head, it's under God's feet. So I, the things that I know I can't change, I pray. And I'm seeing progress. So I'm I'm hopeful. But there's a lot of work that could be done, and it'll start with just giving a person a second chance. And one thing I can say that I'm really proud of, some of our graduates from Renewal have came back. I have a young lady working with me now that graduated from our program, and she came back to work in our reentry office, you know, to help this new program, help get um, resources, because she knows the struggles that she had to go through. So there's a lot of them that come back. Our success stories will blow you. It'll bring tears to your eyes. They come back to give back, and all they needed was a chance. But it takes, sometimes you got to go above and beyond what the budget and your line items say. Sometimes it ain't no line item for what they need. So I do it out of pocket. I mean, you have to. It's, you might get one chance to help them. You might not have a chance to ask the board to, to approve it. You got to do it while you got them right in front of you, and that's how it works. You know what? You are a blessing. You know that. You know, too bad we don't have more people like you in this world. Because wow, the more people we'd have like you, the better things would be. Which brings me to my next question, uh, and I don't even know how you'll answer this because you have done so many great things. I mean, with these stories you're telling, you have already accomplish things that most people, they wouldn't be able to climb that mountain. They wouldn't even try to climb it. And not only did you climb it, you're on the other side. So uh, my question is, at this time in your life, what would you say is your greatest accomplishment? Accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That would be my life's greatest accomplishment because, because I accepted Christ. He enabled me to do the things that's been done. And for all that's been accomplished, to God be the glory. I'm just a servant. I'm just a vessel that God's using. There's nothing special about me. I'm just a willing and able vessel to do what he say. I'm an ambassador for Christ. So that is my greatest accomplishment, being able to serve God's people, you know, willingly, being able to give back and just, you know, just, just loving on them. And so it's the love of Christ. I'm going to tell you, though, not everyone would be listening to this call the way you did. So I still give you enormous credit for that. And the one other question that goes with that that I was going to ask you, um, and there is no doubt God has blessed you, no doubt. Uh, But my question is, you were talking about success stories, I'll bet that really is the most meaningful to you at your job, when you see someone come out and make it. Oh, yes. And you know what's even more beautiful, Joyce, is when you see a young man in church with his children. Mm. You know, young men coming out of Renewal Center, now they're they're the camera operator at our church, or they're the maintenance man, or the landscaping, or my pastor's right hand, or working in other churches, serving just being grateful to be living a clean life. And when you see that light come on in their eyes, that they ain't got to go in the street or ain't a, they got to look over their shoulder no more. Somebody going to blow their head off because they're just making an honest living. Money can't buy that. 
You know, and a lot of my colleagues, I'm going to be honest with you, they laugh at me. They think I'm foolish for volunteering, but it's not about money for me. We need money, but it's for the program. It's for the people. So I believe in serving from the bottom up. Like they taught us at Geneva, be a servant leader. Because if you start from the top down, by the time you get to the, the people, you ain't got nothing but crumbs. So let's start leading from the bottom up when, it, when it's plenty. That's the way I like to serve. I like to serve people first. Yeah, oh, well, that's that is how the God right. made me. That is the right thing to do. Um, I am always appreciative of how I have been blessed and what God has done in my life. But I am a believer in giving back, and that is exactly what you're doing. Uh, so, hey, Deborah, for everyone listening to the show, um, what message do you have for them about the work you're doing with people in prison? I would just ask them to pray first, but to give a person a second chance. If you know somebody that's hiring, you know, say something. You know, call somebody. Just like you might see a young man in your neighborhood that you know he was raised right but had a bad break. Give him a chance. You know, use your influence. Your circle of influence, use it. Wherever God has planted you, be effective right there. Like, I'm asking God right now for a building, a score, or somebody that would that has, um, you know, like carpentry skills. If we find a building and it needs rehab, that he would send us a building or, or sponsors, corporate sponsors that would stand with me to continue to do this work because cause it's hard. You know, I, I really need people to stand with me, impact partners that would, would line up and just help us really change the world. If everybody does a little bit, we could change the world. And I told God, whatever time I got left on this side, I'm dedicated to restoring the lives of others. So if anybody listening that needs some help or don't got nobody, call me. I'll help you. You know, if I got a dime, you got a nickel. But all I could give you is, is what God gave me, and I'm willing to do that. I wanted to ask you, Deborah, how would they reach you? Would they reach you through Renewal in Pittsburgh? No, they can reach me via email or my phone number. I can give you that if you like. Yeah, what is your your email? It's D like Deborah, T like Tom, M like Morrison, 1003 at comcast.net. Okay. Do you want to repeat that one more time? D like Deborah, T like Tom, M like Morrison, 1003 at comcast.net. And if they they are interested in any of these programs, can they also contact you through Renewal? No, they should contact um, me, they could look at our website. It's divineinterventionministries.org, or they could call me at 412-303-5043. Well, let's mention, that's good, but let's repeat that website because so many of my listeners go to the website. What is it one more time? That's www.divineinterventionministries. Well, I'll tell you what, Deborah, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. 
Thank you, Joyce. It's truly an honor. And I just thank God for the work you're doing. Just keep it up because it's changing the world. Oh, thank, thank you, Deborah. And you know what? We end every show with a quote from someone that we feel is making a difference in lives of people. And today, that has to be from the great Justin Dart, who passed away around the same time you're talking about with your son. And his message was, lead on. And Deborah, you are leading on. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Hey, talk to you all next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 